As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all type of shows. It's crazy right now. You look on it right now, you can get tickets to see Mean Girls on uh, Broadway in Chicago, which I'll be taking my wife to because the show's really good. I saw it in New York. It's great. Get Hamilton tickets. You can get concert tickets to Motley Crue, The Jingle Ball, Pentatonics. Uh, you can get Northwestern basketball tickets on it. Go Cats. You can get tickets to the Bears game this Sunday against the Chiefs if you're into uh, self-pain and all that kind of stuff. Kenny Chesney, not my style, but he's available. Uh, basically, anything you want to get a ticket to, you can get it on Game Time. Uh, and Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. You download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. Then under the billing section, the redeem code is the Athletic. One word. The Athletic, all one word, uh, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019, for those who don't know how years work. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets right now for concerts, tickets to games, and all kinds of good stuff uh, on the Game Time app. It's not about me. I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try And I promise that Hello and welcome to the latest Laz and Powers. I am Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, joined by Scott Powers, also of The Athletic. Uh, and the Blackhawks won... A hockey game on Sunday night, defeating the Minnesota Wild, and uh, Scott, I believe uh, all is well and everything's happy now, right? <laughs> yes, let's move on. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, they, they needed that, right? Like they they came home and the St. Louis game was uh, just uh, it had to be demoralizing to, to lose it that way, you know. Um, it, it's funny. I mean, they they 
both the teams who played in the Stanley Cup final last year, they had three nothing leads in their buildings in the third period, and then they surrender both. You know, they pull out the win in, in the overtime or shootout, whatever it was in Boston, but uh, overtime. But uh, and then do the same thing in St. Louis, and the St. Louis game felt a little bit more lopsided, and then St. Louis probably got what it deserved. Um, yeah, it, it felt really bad after the game. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Just considering what that collapse was like, and then you all of a sudden you, you, you think back to the Arizona game and the Colorado games, and then St. Louis game before that, and and I know they're missing Dehan and Keith, and um, but injuries happen, and I don't know. It just it, it feels like it's it's not getting better, and um, and then then you win against Minnesota, and now you, I guess they get another chance to prove themselves. You know, are are they legit? Again, you get Colorado back at the UC, and uh, Colorado's playing really well. Um, but uh, you know, and they and they handed it to the Hawks the last two times. So yeah, I'm curious to see what that game's like. But I overall, I don't know. I, I feel like we have a large enough picture, 34 games in, to say that this team's going to be up and down. And um, now that you have some injuries too, it, it just doesn't have the depth to, uh, to to you know to get through those. Yeah, I, I think they deserve. You know, let's I'll try to put some positive spin on this. Is they deserve some credit for. The team's got a little character to it. It's got some backbone to it. Like, every time things get really, really bad, they do tend to pull out a win, maybe put a couple together and kind of right the ship a little bit. We haven't seen those five, six, seven, eight-game losing streaks that marked the last couple of seasons. They had three eight-game losing streaks in the calendar year of 2018, which is just unfathomable. And It hasn't come to that. They have a little bit of character. Robin Leonard was talking after the game last night uh, saying, you know, you know, I came in here today and, and the, the, the vibe was good. It was upbeat. And they said that's a testament to the, the core leadership the team has. Uh, and that's a positive sign. I mean, you're, if you're grasping at straws here, the fact that they're not just rolling over and dying with Keith out, with Dahan out, with the losses piling up, with the lopsided, like getting blown out a lot, with the blown leads, uh, they're at least keeping their heads above water and, and fighting. Uh, and there, there's something to be said for that. But yeah, it's it's hard to envision this team going on some kind of positive long-term run either. They might not lose a whole bunch of games in a row, but they're not going to win a whole bunch of games in a row either, not the way they're currently constituted. Um, you were at practice today, Duncan Keith, uh, surprisingly already practicing, talking about maybe playing Wednesday. Uh, obviously, that would be huge for the Blackhawks. Connor Murphy has done yeoman's work, uh, kind of stepping into that number one role. He's had two assists uh, uh, twice in the last 10, ga- uh, 10 days. Um, he's playing big minutes he's still blocking shots out there when he should probably be you know wrapped in bubble wrap and preserved for future but uh it's just hard to imagine this team coming together in a way that's going to substantially change the long-term outcome of this season well I think it's so key that you know Taves was pretty positive after that Blues game as positive as you can be but I feel like they've seen what the bottom is, you know. I feel like they've seen that the last few years, where they they felt what it's like not to make the the playoffs for a couple of years. They certainly felt some of those losing streaks last season, um, and there were times where you you felt it more that they were you know not as optimistic. And um, I think you know they see that there's 40, um, you know, what, what almost nearly 50 games left in the season. Um, they've played some decent stretches. Like they they have been leading in the third period. It's a matter of, you know closing teams out. So. I think that you have that positive message from the leaders, and you still have players. Uh, I mean, Kane can take over a game, I and mean, Kane wins that game yesterday. Sada's playing at a pretty high level right now and scoring goals finally. Um, you have some guys who are still elite players and guys who can win you games. Um, it, it just It's a matter of the consistency within within games, within stretches. Um, certainly within the lineup when you have young guys and 
you know, Doc hasn't produced as much lately. And Nylander's, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, he hasn't been the same player we've seen early in the season. And then you have young defensemen that probably shouldn't be in the NHL yet. Um, you, you still have that stellar goaltending. Um, getting Keith back helps. I, I, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what this next stretch is like. Yeah, I feel like we see this every stretch. Just, But this last one, it, it's... You know DeHaan's probably not coming back. The fact that Keith is, um, it's a positive. Shaw's still out. Kajula just steals, you know, Colleton said today he's still dealing with um, something, you know, his symptoms, and he hasn't cleared, so that, that's a little scary for how long he's been out. But um, I, I wonder if, if, if they're realistic and truthful about wanting to be in the playoffs this year, whether they need to do something to address it. If you have DeHaan's cap space, do you go out – um, go out and pursue a veteran defenseman and, and help this team out, or, 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 or do you sit in your hands and kind of let this play out as is? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the 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 vibe in the locker room, and I, we're going to get into some, a bunch of listener questions a little bit later in the show. But I want to get into this one from Nate. He asks, "Is there friction in the locker room?" It has definitely sounded like it at times, and I know I'm not the only one who has interpreted sound bites that way. I don't feel that really is. Like, this is a surprisingly close-knit group. I felt over the last couple of seasons that there was a little bit of that, you know, clickiness and, 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 and you know, maybe they wasn't all harmonious, but this is a group that genuinely seems to like being around each other. Um, there's been frustration, absolutely. Nobody likes losing, and, you know, a couple of times, yeah, you, it, it sounded like Jonathan Taze wasn't happy when Jeremy Colleton switched up the lines a few weeks ago. He wasn't happy with the, the, 11, and si- the 11 and 6 situation or the 11 and 7 situation because he thought the lines were working. Um, you're, and that's that's okay. You're allowed to, you know, like Mitch Trubisky after the Bears game yesterday was saying, "Hey, we should have moved the pocket more," and he was right. That doesn't mean he hates Matt Nagy. It means that he's a he's a smart player who knows, you know, what's best for the team. And Jonathan Taves has been around long enough that he is allowed to make comments like that without it being, you know, everyone clutching their pearls about, "Oh, there's friction in the locker room." I, I don't see that with this team. I see a team that's trying really hard. That's really frustrated, but just isn't good enough to do anything about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't get the sense of anyone. You know, I, no one's really called out Colleton other than, uh, you know, it taves his frustration with that the seven D game. Um, but yeah, it, it's a team that I think even Colleton's frustrated too, where he's, uh, you know, he keeps on saying consistency, and, and, and he's certainly not seeing it, or it's just. Um, I, I think even Taves after that Blues game saying that, you know, we've seen basically glimpses of us playing well. You know, we we, um, we, we do have these leads and, and, you know, we're not holding them, but we, we are building these leads. And um, I, I guess part of my thing, too, is that like that first period of the Blues game is, you know, there's 25. I think the Blues had 25 attempts to the, the Blackhawks four and. The way they're still staying in games, the way they're winning, you know, I, I, you know, they're they're relying on goaltending and um and and some good players producing. It just I still wonder if it's sustainable, you know, whether it's um even even the playoffs are probably a little bit of a long shot now too. But just at what point does being last in the league and or you know close to last in the league and you know shots against and all that stuff? When does it when does it matter? Like I felt like they built this team around you know despite that in some ways and. Um, and I don't know if it's just what where the bar is has changed from what we thought of the Blackhawks a bit ago, but it it just it, you know I look at the standings today and and they're near the bottom in in the Western Conference, you know, last in the Central and um, other teams that they're that are around there. We we all think of them as rebuilding teams, and um, we haven't we don't talk about the Blackhawks as much, and maybe it's because they don't talk it in that way. But at some point, I think a lot of those statistics and where they are in the standings have to matter too. 
Yeah, I mean, they're they're you know, if you look at all the metrics, almost any metric you can find, they are what they are. Like this is where they belong. They belong in last place in the Central, toward the bottom of the whole league. Uh, you know, you mentioned that first period against St. Louis, and I thought it was troubling how Jeremy Colleton framed it as a positive, as you know, I, I, you know that they played pretty well because it was they didn't give up, and they gave up like twenty five chances against like four. That's an awful period. And he said it, it, it didn't bother him that much. And that's got to bother you. That's a terrible period. Just because you don't give up any goals doesn't mean you were playing well. Uh, the Hawks have to get past this. You know, the, the, the bar has been lowered so much for this team right now about what's a good uh, period, what's a good effort, what's a good loss, what's a good win. Uh, the bar is so low right now because they do just give up so much. Like that Minnesota game on, on Sunday night, you know, they didn't give up more than 30 shots on goal, and it was like, oh, let's throw a parade against a team that doesn't really do a whole lot offensively. At some point, the, 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 when you lower the bar that much, you can't expect to ever clear much more than that. Right now, they are one point ahead of the Kings for dead last in the conference. Uh, they are what they are. Now, because the, the, the loser point and because the, the, the division is so packed and the conference is so jam-packed, I mean, they're like five points out of a playoff spot with games in hand. So, you know... In theory, they're in the mix. I don't know. That's that's the weird part, right? Like it's like if they win three games in a row and everyone else loses, like it's right there. It's just yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, you know as much you know. I wrote after that Blues game where I, I think changes in some manner are, are needed, but then it's like well, they win the Minnesota game and somehow they they put together a little bit of run here and they're they're right back in the race and it's just it, it's um, well, you look. I mean, I, San, I like... San Jose has a better record than them and they fired Peter DeBoer. When the Sharks have a very obvious problem, is they have no goalies. They have like an 860 yeah. save percentage. So that clearly wasn't Peter DeBoer's fault, but they felt compelled to do something and they fired their coach. Uh, I don't know if the Blackhawks have that same sense of urgency. You and I were talking, you know, over the weekend about we were, we were kind of on high alert. I mean, if they lost to uh, Minnesota, does that mean, you know, that Monday morning the, 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 the other shoe's going to drop and they're going to start cleaning house? Uh, or even if they won, I mean, Dennis Savard was fired after a win in uh, in Phoenix, so you never know what's going to happen. But it, it, you, you feel like the Blackhawks are kind of teetering on the edge of needing to make some drastic change or having one good week and all of a sudden hunky-dory again. Well, I, that's my question is if they have good one good week and, and they get back into it, I, I just I don't know if this team as is is it's – good enough to win a cup or something like that you know like what no. what's your goal and what's like if, if you're good enough to make the playoffs and I, I suppose you need to be aggressive enough to get players but you know I look at and I'm certainly I guess the, everyone talks about the Blues now considering what they what they did and and the feel like the Blackhawks probably feel like they're closest to that where they feel like they have that potential where even if they're lower in the in the standings that they're capable of you know making a run but I look at the Blues and they, you know, they made a coaching change, and then they went with Jordan Bennington, and everything changed. So I feel like something needs to be altered. Where you have a large enough sample size of, of the Blackhawks being injured and healthy, and, and they're they're an average team, you know, sometimes slightly above, sometimes slightly below. But if you want to go beyond that, I don't think the system's going to click all, to, you know, all of a sudden. You you obviously are going to play with a one of your top defensemen probably for most of the season. Um, I think. Doc and Nylander are going to have stretches where they're, where they're good. Sometimes they're not. Um, you know, at some point, Brinkett's going to go on a, on a scoring run, but he, he's, you know, like players like him are erratic too. So I don't know. I, I just feel like you um, you know what the Blackhawks can look like when they're good right now, and you know what they can be look like when they're bad. And if you want to 
truly change it and truly go for the playoffs this year. I, I think you need to change the dynamic in some way. Um, and if, if that's pursuing another player or doing what, I don't think it's making another coaching change. I don't think a coaching change changes what this team is. I, I know people want to say about Collins and system, all these things. And uh, the Blackhawks have been struggled defensively, whether it's been zone or man to man. And, uh, you know, for the last three years. So I, I think it's if, if they're really honest about it and honest, if they want to be a playoff team, I, I think that you have to find a way to improve this team uh, roster wise, because I, I don't see how this team as is, is all of us going to all of a sudden going to click and be different than, than it is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, they were giving up 35, 40 shots at the end under Quenville, too, and he's a defensive genius. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the troubles go far beyond just the head coach. But at the same time, uh, when they introduced the starting lineup last night against Minnesota, they introduced Jeremy Colleton, heavy booze. I mean, he is, you know, the, the, the fan base wants, wants some kind of action. They, don't, they want John McDonough to do something. And whether that's Stan Bowman or Jeremy Colleton or making a big move or something, they're not going to be satisfied with them treading water here. Something, something does have to change. And, you know, the Blackhawks are obviously very much in tune with what the fans are thinking. Th- fans are thinking. They care about their image. They care about perception. They care about their sellout streak. Um, so uh, if, if it keeps going this, if it keeps three losses, one win, three losses, one win, two losses, one win, I have a hard time believing they're just going to stand pat and let the season play out that way. Um, let's you know what the some, one thing is okay, that like, I was gonna say just and I, I feel like we see it in the United Center with the Bulls where the Bulls fans turn turn you know turn the Bulls off and and they've certainly felt that where uh, you know the credit of the Blackhawks fans they they haven't gone that way you know like we're uh, yeah they're angry season, but they're still there yeah yeah like a three that I means three years now where you know if the season ends today the Blackhawks aren't in the playoffs for a third consecutive year and and it it doesn't feel that way I mean they're still leading the league in attendance and and, and certainly there are a lot of fans who couldn't get in the building and finally can you know for a decent price especially on the secondary market but I, I think it really speaks to how far uh, yeah the fandoms come and and people are but um, you wonder how what's the breaking point of that where where eventually that it, it you know like when does that stop happening and, and people just do tune them out if they, if they don't get back to their winning ways? I'm sure that's a question that's being asked in the uh, other side of the atrium at the United Center every single day coming from John McDonough's office. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Like you said, the fan base has been very impressive, not to suck up to our listeners. But, yeah, most most fan bases would stop coming at this point. And uh, they were there 21,000 strong. I know that's whether the atten- att- announced attendance is inflated or not. There were not a lot of empty seats in that building at all. Uh, on a Sunday night in the in snow in the forecast uh, after just like the worst week imaginable on the ice. So uh, so kudos to the fans for uh, for showing up and making their voices heard one way or the other. Um, we got a whole years bunch ago, of we went questions. F- 15 years ago, we wouldn't have had two beat writers on the Blackhawks, you know? Like it's, I know, right? I, I think it's, <laughs> it speaks to it too. Like the fact that both of us are covering this team, it, it speaks to that there's, there's a desire for, for content and obviously the hockey too, so... 15 years ago, God, I think the, even the Tribune and the Sun-Times weren't even going to road games uh, uh, back then. I mean, just nobody cared. It's, it's amazing how it's changed. And that started like in 08, 09, uh, where all of a sudden they, they, they caught fire. It's, it's different now than it was, that's for sure. The Athletic didn't exist either. That's another thing. That's true. <laughs> um, we got a whole bunch of questions to get into, some good ones too. Sure. I, specific, I specifically asked people not to just a- ask questions about firing everybody and trading everybody. So... We actually got some good questions. I like um, to talk about Irish politics if possible. 
Uh, yeah, I like to talk about American politics, but that's usually frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, that's <true. laughs> I figure that it's not as, as bad. People won't get as, as angry if we're talking about European politics, maybe. Yeah, they'll just turn off the podcast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start with Brandon. Uh, Alex Nylander is the hot point right now, so let's talk with, about Brandon's question. He says, what's the deal with the press hating on Nylander? You can hear Pat Foley's contempt toward him every time he's on the ice, and it seems like there's a universal disdain towards him in the press box. I don't think that... Anybody hates Nylander. He's a very nice kid. He's out there. He's working hard. He's doing the best he can. I think that we're all kind of casting a wary eye at him, wondering why he gets this insanely long leash when so many players before him have not, including the guy he was traded for, Henry Yokiharyu. It's not that Nylander is hateable. It's that the usage of him has been questionable. He spent two months on that top line almost, producing virtually nothing. And nobody else gets that. Dominic Kubalik has been a healthy scratch. Eric Gustafson's been a healthy scratch. Uh, Up and down the lineup, we've seen guys in and out of the lineup. And for some reason, Nylander keeps getting opportunities. He had that horrible turnover in St. Louis that led directly to a goal that shifted the whole game. And then he got promoted to play with Dylan Strome and Patrick Kane. So I think it's, it's, it's not hard to see why we're like, wait, really? It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not anything against Nylander. It's just it seems like he's playing by a different set of rules than the rest of the team is. Right. He's he has scored in one of the last 31 games, you know? Like he he was very hot early on. He was impressive and you know, he scored in uh in when we were in Europe and then he he comes out and he scores two games later and he's had some assists there and he's contributing and then he went on a slump and uh I, I think it was before the Kajula injury that it looked like he may have been a healthy scratch almost. Um so the, it looked like they were heading down that that direction um and it, and it's weird it, 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 because it is. It does seem like it's a different set of rules where it's uh, the way that he's playing, the way he's producing. Like you wouldn't get that consistent top, top six chance. And, um, you know, they, they bring up security. He gets a couple games. He doesn't look great. So they, they sit him, you know, high more. And, um, you know, down the line, they've brought guys up who are, you know, borderline AHL, NHL players. And um, Nylander's honestly probably that, you know. I, I think he's got a lot of high-end skill, but I don't think it's – uh, it just it's not molded yet or, or there's something that's missing because this game isn't consistent enough and it's um you know he he could probably use some time in the AHL just to secure or or, or high more like um, who else have they called up recently uh, 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 Vadine and um, I I feel like all these guys are in similar boats but Nylander's the guy that consistently gets uh, gets the shifts and he gets the ice time and um, certainly the opportunities within the lineup and, and and it's hard not to point to the trade he was traded for Henry Yokiharu and 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 a lot of people felt like that was a bad trade at the time and I I, I truly believe the Blackhawks want to don't want to lose that trade and, and and this is somewhat about saving face and giving Nylander an opportunity um, to succeed and um, it just it, at some point it has to come to a head. I mean, he, he said he had a nice little play when uh, on, on Kane's goal last night when he gets the wraparound. He sets him up behind the net there, and you can see the flashes. And even Carlton today talked about how he thought Nylander's first period um, was uh, was good, and the next two periods weren't as good. And let me actually pull up the quote because uh, you know someone basically asked if. Well, that's what he does. Uh, yeah. he, he, he shows a flash, and then he disappears. He's exactly as advertised from everybody in Buffalo about a guy who's really talented but just can't put it all together. The quote today from Carlton was uh, – he was asked uh, – let me see here. Uh, so Someone asked, you know, about Nylander. Should he feel comfortable that he's going to be in the lineup and, you know, uh, and where, you know, where he's been? And, and 
Colleton said, nothing's guaranteed for anyone, but each player we have to treat, not the same but fairly, and ultimately we need him to get better. We need him to improve his game for us to have success. That's the bar we're setting for him. Um, yeah, you yeah know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know I'm if he's torn been on it because the same as everyone else. He, ha- he certainly hasn't, but, uh, but at the same time, I sort of understand, look, this is a guy who needs to play with skilled players. Like, there's no point in him being on the fourth line, which is what he was for a little while. Yeah. There's, just no, there's just no need for that at all. So either put him in Rockford, or I guess you got to put him in the top six. It's one or the other, and I think that's sort of the way they look at it. But yeah, it, it's the cynic in all of us looks at this and says they're just they're forcing it down our throat to justify the Yoki Haru trade, which so far doesn't look great, especially with the need the Blackhawks have on the back end. But you know, he's 21. He's just 21. I keep having to point that out. He's just 21, and there's a lot of ability there. It just seems that he's it's the leash he's getting that is just it's hard not to you know look at it cynically. Well, that's part of it. It's, it's, it's why do you need to win the trade right now? You know, like why eventually you need Nylander to be a part of this core and part of something going forward. I, I you know, he, he has experience with Andre Sorensen, who's, you know, Isog's assistant. And, uh, you know, like I, I know that he spent time in, in, in Buffalo's, uh, you know, in the American League. But what's wrong with sending him to the Rockford, getting his confidence up, working with someone he knows and maybe spend more time individually, you know, talking about shifts and, um, you know, even developmentally working on some of his games. I mean, you see sometimes where he's just not putting skills together. Um, I, I don't know what, what would be wrong with sitting him or sending him to, to Rockford for a stretch. And then, um, you know, you did it with guys like Henestrosa and uh, Hartman and Schmaltz and, and guys come back up and, and then they succeed. And I, I don't, for some reason, it seems like the Blackhawks have been reluctant to do that where, um, they don't want to mess with him too much or, or show any sort of weakness in this trade. But I think it's not so much today. I mean, the Blackhawks need to, to win right now. Um, but in Nylander's case, you need him to be a player going forward that's going to give you the best best production. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong in admitting that he needs a little bit of work and, and, and some consistency. And then eventually maybe you pay off in the end. But I, I just I haven't seen the Blackhawks being, being willing to kind of express that yet. Well, all those other guys you mentioned at the time, nobody was coaching or general managing for their jobs. So that might have something to do with needing to win the trade right away. Um, let's go with uh, Chris Carlson's question here. Uh, of course, a similar sort of question. Uh, I've heard you talk about it some, but where should Kirby Doc be playing? I think he needs more ice time with more talented scorers. His skill level is amazing, but he has nobody who can help on his lines. Carpenter and Smith are decent grinders, but not goal scorers. Uh, I tend to agree it's time to, you know, uh, uh, un- uh, unleash Kirby Doc a little bit more. See if he can get him going. He has not been scoring lately, uh, but he's not really been put in a good position to score. So, you know, he was up there with Debrinkit last night. Uh, I do not believe in separating Debrinkit and Strom. I think that's a bad idea. They belong together uh, on and off the ice in a lot of ways. <laughs> and uh, they're BFFs. Um, but I-, I-, I think you do need to give elevate Kirby Doc and give him a chance to play with some big names, whether it's you know, with Saad and Taves, although Kubalik looks really good up there, or with Kane, uh, give him a chance to play 15 minutes, 16 minutes with skill players, put him on the power play, you know, give him a real chance to see what he can do, and maybe boost his confidence at the same time. Yeah, I don't know if everyone agrees with me, but I honestly thought that going to World Juniors would have been a good thing for, for Doc. Like, you go and you, uh, you know, from the Blackhawks' perspective, hopefully he goes and dominates his, his pairs and, 
you know, even last season, he he was good in the WHL, but he wasn't, you know, consistently dominant. And that was sort of the reason to maybe send him back and, and obviously showed people that he can compete at the NHL. But the way that he's been playing, um, you know, he doesn't have a point in what the last, I don't know, it's like a dozen games or so. It seems like it would make sense, too, when you think about the bigger picture, when, when again, it's about not winning that draft right now, but winning it in the future. I, I thought sending Doc uh, to, to World Juniors, to, you know, they'll probably win the gold with Canada, probably play well, and then you bring him back in January, um, and then you slot him in the top nine role, and, and his confidence is rolling, and things are going good, and it just seems like very much the opposite of how they handled Yoki Haru last year, where that was sort of the excuse where they felt like, you know, he he had hit a, you know, kind of hit a lull and wasn't the same player you saw early in the season. And it made sense to send him and send him to play with Finland and, and get his confidence up. And obviously we, we saw that wasn't exactly how they treated him when he got back from from the World Juniors. But with, with Doc and Boquist, um, maybe even Doc more than Boquist, because I think with Boquist it's, it's more of just, you know, having to spend time explaining what he's doing with it in the zone. But I, I think with Doc, a lot of it's the confidence and uh, possessing the puck and doing some things. And I, I don't think it would have been bad for him to go to World Juniors and then come right back and, and, and you know, be inserted back in the lineup and, and have that confidence rolling. I think the problem is they can't afford it because he's like one of their 10 best forwards. They can't just let him go away for a couple of weeks because they need him. They don't have the depth to withstand uh, losing him at this point. You can't have... Uh, your bottom six be all Anton Vadines and Matthew Highmores. You're not going to get any offense out of anybody. Well, I guess the thing is, if he's not producing, what's you know, like what's the difference? You know, like 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 That's John Quinville's yeah. finally John Quinville's finally putting up some points in in Rockford. I think he uh, you know he had two goals last night or the night before, whatever it was. And you you have a couple options of guys that are, I think, when you look at more bottom six guys, you know, I think you have some of those guys and. Um, and plus the fact that you have some centers, you have Carpenter and, um, you know, Camp guys who can center that they're even bringing up a wing, you know, bringing Vadin up or, uh, you know, 410 who we haven't seen or, you know, or seeing Quinville. I think there's some options there. I just, I think if he's going to play a bottom six role and, and he's not producing, it's, uh, they're all interchangeable a little bit and why not give someone a look? And then, uh, I mean, Doc's upside is obviously higher than all those other guys. And, um, again, it, it felt like a little bit where they uh, they, they, obviously they need Doc in some ways now where he does have the most potential, but if, if you're thinking even slightly, you know, short term, even a little bit shorter term, that in a month maybe it would have helped him. Maybe not, but I just, yeah, I don't, I, I think if he's not producing and he's in a bottom six role that there's uh, there's not a whole lot of difference between him and a few other guys right now. Okay, Chris Haney asks, Patrick Kane was very grateful to the in-arena fans for showing up in his number one star of the game interview and encouraging them to keep showing up. He made similar comments in a post-game TV interview. What do you make of that? Did management ask him to do that? I don't. I don't think there's any conspiracy there. Um, <laughs> Patrick Patrick Kane, more than just about anybody, is in tune with things like that. He understands fans are frustrated. He knows what the vibe is in the arena, um, and I, I really do think that the Blackhawks are genuinely grateful and appreciative for the fan base they have, especially guys that have been here a long time and remember what it was like before it was like this. Um, I think if you're if you're you know, if you if you're paying any attention at all, you know that when you miss the playoffs for three straight years, haven't won a playoff series in potentially five years, that is something special to have twenty one thousand people coming to your game still. So I, I don't think that's like a. I mean, the number one star of the game interview is always. I mean, you're sucking up to the fans because you're you're being broadcast live over the PA. But Kane and and, and a couple other old timers particularly always seem to mention that the, the fans. Uh, Connor Murphy does that a lot too. I think you know the guys that pay attention to these kinds of things. They understand how unusual it is to have a fan base 
face that could be this pissed off and still be showing up every night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I I think Kane gets it and, and he's always been pretty good at, at recognizing that. And um yeah, I mean these guys have been here for a while too, right? Like they've they've been here at the high times and um, you know, Kane and Taze felt a little bit of when they weren't great, but um yeah, I don't know. I, I think they just there's there's such a connection with it and um realizing that when you go into other buildings and you, and you go against teams that are probably struggling too, that they're, uh, you know, people do tune them out and the reception isn't like that. And um, the fact that United Center is still bumping and, and, and as, as popular as it is, and you have the sellout streak going despite this, it's, yeah, I, I do think they recognize and, and get that not everywhere's like this. If you were in a different market um, and, and you had the record they have, it wouldn't be like this somewhere else. Uh, I'm going to defer to you on this one since you are the Alex Debrinket Gold Project Master. Uh, get, get a few of these <laughs> I was, questions. Last year I was. Well, you still, you know. Uh, Ryan K asks, looking to hear your thoughts on why the goals haven't been coming as much for Alex Debrinket this season. Any reason to be concerned with him long term? Getting that question a lot lately. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, two years is only, I mean, it's not a massive sample size, but you come in as a, as a rookie and a second-year NHL guy and you put up 30 and 40 goals and, and obviously that's been his track record his whole career, um, and then even now we like we saw him go off for three games and score goals. I, I think he's streaky. I, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like he's been through this. You know, even yeah, I even like I was looking through his numbers even as a rookie and some of that. I mean, he went like a dozen or so games without scoring goals. I mean, it's gonna come and go. And um, you know, the fact that he scores goals in such a unique way with you know finding a little bit of open ice and then connecting with the puck perfectly and um, I feel like the connection hasn't been there. I, I, um, I, yeah, I don't know. Some of the opportunities haven't been there. I think it's a little bit, been a little bit harder on the power play, and I don't see as many of those cross ice passes. So maybe def- defenses are are setting up for that cross seam pass a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's adjusts, and I think he's, I think it's he's looking for the right areas, and you know he's proven throughout his career uh, that he can find those seams, and he's done it at the NHL level. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's one of those things where eventually he'll he'll break out, and I think at the end of the year we you know we'll be looking at a twenty five plus goal scorer again. All right, I, I, it's been a while since I've ranted about this, so I want to get to Aaron Simon's question. He says Quenville did you, not you like wrote, to play. You wrote about what? the Brinkett that one time when he was struggling, though. What do you what do you uh, what, you remember what you wrote? I mean, you felt like the chances. Were yeah, there, right? yeah. He, he he felt. I mean, he's if you look at his numbers over the over over again over the two and a half season he's played, he is wildly streaky. He's a lot like Jonathan Taze in that regard, in that he'll go a bunch of games without a goal, and then all of a sudden have like two hat tricks in a five game span. And all of a sudden, the numbers look fine again, and the and the, and the long term projection is the same. This has been a little bit more than usual, um, but it, it's the power play goals that aren't coming. And when the power play sucks, everybody's numbers take a dump because, uh, because they, they take a tumble because that's when that's where you get a lot of your points. That's where guys like Dabrinkit, who set up shop in that you know in the Alex Ovechkin spot and, and and pound in goals. That's what they do. And the, the Blackhawks power play has been awful this year. So if they were clicking at any kind of normal rate, he'd have a lot more goals. You look at him with 41 goals last year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a whole lot of those were power play goals. And that's because of that two- or three-month span where the power play was just clicking like crazy. And he was just, you know, Kane found that seam pass. They were just working it, working it, working it. Everybody knows that seam pass is coming now. So they got to figure out different ways to get the puck to him. Artemi Panarin had the same problem his second year in Chicago where everyone knew that Patrick Kane was going to try to force that seam pass to him, and they started getting in the way of it. And they found other ways to score. And they just need to find other ways to get to brink at the puck in space because once you know, he releases it, it's, it's amazing. 
It's interesting. He he has eight goals right now, and five are actually off the uh, off the power play. Well, then okay, he's got to get his five on five play up too. <laughs> but you can <laughs> say that about year, the entire Blackhawks team. Yeah, no, no I, I was surprised. I just pulled up the numbers, and the numbers uh, last year he had forty one goals, and twenty four came off the power play. So twenty four. Yeah, so it's yeah, uh, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, oh, Aaron no, Simon. No, 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 oh, no, you're no, not going to let me get to I, this. That, no, this is wrong. That's 24 power play points. He had 13 power play goals okay. last year. And I was going to say, 24 40. seemed like a lot. <laughs> I, 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 I will let you get forward. I, I, I will stop interrupting you. <laughs> it's all right. Aaron Simon asks, Quenville did not like to play younger players was always the narrative. Do you believe that was true? And if so, some of the trades Bowman made, like for Weiss, were driven by that. No? No! I hate that narrative. That narrative is such bullshit. It always was. Quenville hated bad players he didn't like lazy players he didn't like players that didn't want to play defense and just wanted the goal hang and score goals Brennan Perry Brennan Perry he didn't he had no problem with younger players you go down the list you know Brandon Saad Andrew Shaw Marcus Kruger um Alex Dabrinkit uh Henry Yokihari was playing 24 minutes a night under Joel Quenville and then in came 33 year old Jeremy Colleton and he dropped off a cliff so it's such a bullshit narrative that you know, and, and Bowman wasn't making trades because Joel Quenville didn't like a player because he was too young. Uh, Joel Quenville loved Phil Deneau. Phil Deneau is exactly the kind of player that Joel Quenville likes. A Marcus Kruger type, but with a little bit of offense. So I, I, I don't believe there's any validity to the idea that Quenville didn't like to play younger players. He didn't like to play bad players. Um, I feel like it got shaped around Aledi a bit just because I think he was so... He was so confident in those top four defensemen, and and Letty wasn't the same guy that was two ways sort of as as the rest were, you know. Where he he liked to have him a little bit more, uh, yeah, more put him more in offensive situations, shelter him a little bit more, and he just didn't trust Letty like he trusts those other guys. And um, and ultimately, I I think when you look at Perry and Moore and, and McNeil and all those guys, I mean Quinville ended up being proven. You know, like those guys, none of those guys became right. And Perry, Perry, he loved talking t- about points. Tara Vinans, yeah. Tara Vinans, another guy that Joel really liked a lot. I mean, he eased him in, he didn't just throw him into the fire. But you could always tell the way Joel talked about a guy whether he actually liked him or not. Um, it's like with Brandon Sod, he was madly in love with Brandon Sod from the start. And whenever he wasn't playing well, he didn't sound angry, he sounded like a disappointed father. And it was, you know, with with, with Tavo Teravainen, it was the same thing. He he loved his overall game. He just wasn't sure he was totally ready yet. So he eased him in, which is what you're supposed to do with young players on a star-laden team when you don't have to, to throw them in so much. He wasn't happy about that trade. He wasn't happy about a lot of these things. But that happens. Um, it, it's just such a silly narrative, and it comes up all the time still. And no matter how many times I yell and scream and rant about it. Because nobody listens what, to me. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> do you think Colleton I, – I don't get a handle where he thinks of – because it's not like he's turned to like he's, there's a lot of guys in Rockford that that have come through the guys that have played for him that he hasn't showed as much confidence in, you know Doc uh, Nylander, these guys are younger and they've gotten chances at points and I you know obviously he Yoki Haru one was so interesting that how you know how much of a contrast that him and, and Joel were with Yoki Haru but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, Quinville had that reputation, and and it wasn't true. And I'm still trying to get a handle of where Colleton feels like young guys are, because I feel like some of this is a little bit more of a necessity, um, you know, based on where uh, they don't have the star players they once did. But I also feel like he's also, um, yeah, the Yokihara one just obviously stands out so much, where it was such a, a difference from what Quinville had seen out of him. 
Yeah, it, 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 it's such a it's such a different situation where the Blackhawks have such a need for players to play at a young age, whereas for most of Quenville's tenure, like Nick Letty, like you said, you had Keith Seabrook, Jomerson, and Oduya ahead of him. You didn't need him to play a lot, so I think that's part of it. Um, the Yoki Haru thing, yeah, I don't, I, I'll never understand that until this until my dying day. I'll be wondering what he didn't see in him. But uh, you know, every coach is different. Every coach sees players differently. Dylan Secura, how did he not get in the lineup on Sunday? Get, after three horrible performances by the team, what's the guy got to do to get into the lineup? Um, he looks like another guy that's just not really in the coach's happy place, and that happens. It happens in every team in the league, and it just, you know, the whims of the coach determine a lot of things. And Joel Quenville had his doghouse too. Let's not pretend otherwise. Yeah, no, for sure. It was interesting uh, talking to Sakura. Uh, last week where he it was right after he came up and he basically I don't know he was at the point where it's like you know I'm gonna go out there and produce and uh, sort of a, like a thought like you know I, I know that I don't have a lot of whole lot of attempts at this left like I need to you know I need to play well I need to put it all forward you know I, I want to score a goal but uh, you know I need to just prove that I can be out there on NHL ice side of you know I, I think before he put such pressure on himself and um, such a you know expectation now it's like you know I, I I don't know. There was more of a realization where he kind of, he's been beat down a little bit by the system. You know, he spent a lot of time in in the American League, and um, you know, just uh, wondering maybe where he fits uh, within this organization within the NHL, and um, and then you know he doesn't score, he doesn't produce, and he sits, and then now that you sit again, you know, behind Highmore a couple of games, you you got to wonder where you, I guess you are organizationally, and what you know when Kajula comes back and Shaw. Um, if you're back to Rockford and, you know, Dylan's not, uh, you know, he's not that young. Like, do you start wondering that maybe it's a trade or, you know, change the scenery maybe does you best, you know? Yeah, he's got a little Jeremy Morin situation to him. I, I remember a couple of years ago at uh, which all the drafts blur together, but the one uh, before Secure kind of turned pro where Stan Bowman was already penciling him into the top nine. Like he was a given to be in the top nine. It just hasn't worked out that way. Um, all right, let's get into one last question here. Um mm-hmm. Robin Leonard, uh, I hope everybody went out and read it today. He's our he's the Athletics NHL Person of the Year for on and off the ice stuff. Uh, I have a big story well on it today. Thank you. And uh, we'll have a video, too, that Katie Strang sat down with him uh, at his home um, a couple weeks ago, and they have a big video. I think that's going to run tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that, too. Um, Sharon asks, uh, what is the likelihood that Robin Leonard re-signs with the team long-term, in your opinion? Now, this is coming up a lot lately because every time – you know, we talk about Leonard, everyone's saying he's going to go running away. He does not want to sign long-term here. Who, would, who in their right mind would ever want to play long-term here, given this defense? That's not the vibe I've gotten. He really likes it here, and he does want to be here long-term. Uh, I, I think that this is he, – he likes the fit here. He likes the city. He likes the teammates. Um, and he doesn't mind. He really genuinely doesn't mind playing in that fun-and-gun offense. I mean, he doesn't mind that he sees a lot of odd-man breaks. He doesn't want it to be 30-odd-man breaks a game, but I don't think that's going to scare him off at this stage of his career. Yeah, I, I think just what makes this whole situation complicated is you have two goalies uh, becoming UFAs, and one of them is, is the one who's been a goalie for, for the last decade here and, and won you multiple cups. And So I, I think it's complicated, and I know people have kind of been asking when is he going to sign or when they're going to you know have these deals and I, I i just think it's it's complicated to do during the season and I, i'm sure that Leonard understands that too i'm sure they've had a conversation about um you know if we do a do a deal it's gonna have to come on later just because um and i wouldn't i don't know if i'd rule out of both of them coming back if, if the money's right you know i mean uh you probably don't want to sign crawford to another six-year deal at this point but um if he's still playing at a high level and 
um, maybe it becomes more of a, uh, you know, a one, two situation where it's not one, a one B, but um, maybe that works, you know, and right, right now Delia's struggling in Rockford. So I don't think he's, he's being handed anything and, and Lankinen has, has played better. Um, and, and so maybe he's, he's the guy, you know, that, that it's the number two eventually, but yeah, I, I, I wonder how it all plays out. I, I do think Leonard wants to come back here and I'm sure the Blackhawks would like to, to pursue that, but I, I don't know if I'd rule out Crawford being back as well. Yeah, they both want to come back. I've talked to both of them about it. And, you know, for Leonard, what he wants is the long-term contract that he deserves. His his mental health, his openness about his mental health and his, his, his addiction issues uh, are why he's on a one-year deal right now, even after having a Vezina finalist season last year. And he knows it, and he's pissed about it. He wants to be on the long-term contract that he deserves. He says, everyone else gets to negotiate on their statistics except for me. And he's right. His, he is, you know, over the last decade, one of the 10 best goalies in hockey based on save percentage over a very large sample size behind some very bad teams, um, out excluding last year's Barry Trotz team. Um, so he, if, the, if the Blackhawks are willing to give him a multi-year offer, I think he will jump at it because this is where he wants to be. Um, and that would be a big piece of the future that the Blackhawks need to get, whether it's Crawford or Leonard. They need someone locked in long-term um, to, to be a, a building block for whatever happens next. Um, you got anything in the pipeline here, Scott? Uh, we, we, we are going to continue our Where Are They Now 2009-10 series eventually, so I, I got one of those coming soon. Um, I feel bad because I, I feel like I put us down this path of starting them, and I haven't really followed through, and I eventually <laughs> well, it's hard. because we have I a mean, lot it, of players. It's it, hard. it doesn't I mean, help that the Blackhawks season has been a bit of a... This is what I'm talking about. I got not, not, to put, not to get into how the sausage is made, but you have to factor in the mood of the readership when you're planning these kinds of stories. Does anybody really want to read something light and fluffy and nostalgic while the world is crumbling apart around them? Well, apparently uh, no one wants to read about Radix Smolniak, which I was quite disappointed <laughs> Go back and read Scott's Radix Smolniak feature. It's one of my favorite <laughs> ones of the year. But it, it's you, you have to factor that in. Is like Right now, people want to read Doom and Gloom. They want analysis. They want to understand why. They want opinion. They don't want a happy, fun, fluffy feature. Uh... And, and, and frankly, the players don't want to participate in happy, fun, fluffy features right now because everyone's pissed, and I get that. Do, do you think I was, I was Anthony DeClaire was one of the uh, three stars of the week today and obviously having a pretty good season? I, I wonder if he had stayed healthy. Toward, you know, he, that, he had that Marchand uh, injury towards his uh, – I mean, he still had 20 or so games left with the Blackhawks. He's been playing okay, not great. I, I always wonder if, if he plays out that season whether – um, you know, part of it was financially because I think his uh, the offer the Blackhawks would have had to give him to his uh, his qualifying offer, qualifying offer was a little bit high. But it, it was one of those things where maybe you don't give him his qualifying offer, but then you negotiate. But I, I think there were some questions about his game because he had been inconsistent, but also that the injury was uh, yeah there were there were some concerns that he wouldn't be the same player and um, and, and and he's he's had a couple st- stops since the Blackhawks. But I've always been curious whether because. Yeah, I don't know. He seemed like he fit with Chicago, and um, there was some potential there. But then it was just it was the wrong time, and everything fell apart. And um, I've always wondered if he was healthy, whether he'd uh, maybe maybe he'd been kept for a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, he has all the tools. He's so fast. He's such a great skater, and he can score. Uh, it was just the same thing that happened with like a Brendan Perlini, where it's the consistency wasn't there, and they just didn't have much patience for it. Uh, I remember when they let him walk. I was like, why would you let a guy that talented walk when you can have him for so cheap? Um, and again, it's not like he went out and immediately became a 40-goal scorer. That was a couple of years ago now. 
Um, but the, the, we, everybody who's ever watched him play knew that ability was there. It's just like, and again, he was a young guy at the time. He was 21, 22. So it's the same thing with Nylander where, you know, don't necessarily write him off just yet just because he hasn't put it all together right now. He's still a young guy. He's four years younger than Dylan Secura, for God's sake. So yeah. you, ha- you have to factor these things in. Uh, I mean, Ducl- it's hard to look at Duclair as one that got away, but he was one that they let walk away when they really didn't have to. And uh, there's always going to be guys like that. More often than not, the Hawks have been generally on the ball with the guys they've let leave. You know, look at what yeah. Brendan Perlini's doing in Detroit right now. It's not a whole lot. No, no. Yeah, I, I just think Perlini doesn't have a single goal yet through 20 games. So um, they, they were right for not paying him. And um, yeah, Declare's an interesting one because obviously I was even, you know, Columbus was because was, Panarin and Declare both had big days the other day. And, and I saw Hedger or someone tweet that, you know, this is not great news for Columbus. And I was like, oh, the Blackhawks, those were great. Both former Blackhawks, too. Obviously, well, let's, let, let's, we, you have every time you mention Panera now, you got to remember they Brandon Sod's been phenomenal this year. He's been, yeah, maybe, and that's the thing, right? Like the narrative know. has changed a little bit. It's just, uh, I mean, Panera's a singular talent, but it's not like they got jack shit for him. They got a, an outstanding top line power forward for him. So, yeah, you know, no, for sure. That, 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 that trade was not the disaster some want to make it out to be. No, no, no. I just, yeah, I, I think it was more of that Kane and Panarin had such a unique style. Right. and absolutely. Um, and part of it was that, I mean, they were hopeful that Forsberg would be uh, one of their goalies not to, and, and he didn't pan out, so. They turned him into I mean, Calvin Dahan. part of the trade, too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, that's, that's true, so. Um, yeah, no, I uh, I don't got a whole lot going on. Some prospect stuff, and um, yeah, we got, uh, got a few more. You're, you're headed off, well, we got the Avalanche Wednesday, and then you head off to Colorado this weekend, right? Yep, yep, yep. You, you took all the Denver trips last year. I was pretty pissed off about that. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I was, so I was in Denver. I, I don't, I don't, I like being in the Denver when I get there, but I hate the whole experience of the airport being so far. And it's in Kansas, yeah. Yeah, and then I don't know. For, I always like take the earliest flight, so it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. The whole experience sometimes getting in to and fro isn't, but I like the actual city when I get there. It's, it's a great, great city. Uh, it was supposed to be good weather, and it's two of my favorite places to eat there, so I'm all good. Awesome. Cool. So uh, we'll talk on Thursday. Um, I think we'll be doing it remotely again. Um, until then, I'm Mark Lazarus. I'm Scott Powers. And we'll talk to you later. Just a little bit. Won't you let me try? Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.